0: It doesn't even feel like a choice. It just feels like that is the only way. I get it. You don't know it until you've been there, but almost like putting the blinders on and choosing not to have empathy for somebody who is truly struggling with something because it really is a struggle. It really is a fight to want to live every day.
1: So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. I want to thank all of the attempt survivors who have joined me here on the podcast since we launched in July of 2020. And of course, to everybody who listens, thank you so much. An invitation to all of our listeners Every month or two, I have an open mic called the Mental Health Happyish Hour. It's through my other organization called Grit True Stories That Matter where we help people tell their stories and we produce events and all sorts of other cool things. If you've got a story that usually under 10 minutes or so you want to come and tell it, it's a great space. It's a supportive space and a safe space. We'd love to have you there. or Maybe you just want to hear some stories. Join us this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If this Sunday doesn't work out, there will be others. I'll put a link in the show notes. Now, as far as suicide noted, we are talking about suicide. So this may not be a good fit for everybody. Please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Ryan. Ryan lives in Maine. And he is a suicide attempt survivor. Where do you live, Ryan?
0: I live here in uh, Maine. Bangor, Maine.
1: I don't know if I've spoken to anybody for this podcast who resides in Maine.
0: No, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I feel lucky.
1: Appreciate you making the time to talk with me.
0: Yeah, no worries at all. No worries at all.
1: We're talking about suicide. This is not a subject most people want to talk about. No. So that begs the question, at least from my perspective, why do you want to talk about this stuff openly?
0: I think for me, it's mainly because when I'm in those spirals and things like that, you know, when people hear suicide, they're like, "Oof," you know, they it's hard, hard to the ears. And it is, it, it is hard to the ears. And I feel like that's part of the reason why a lot of people talk about it. And, you know, just as you just said, you know, not a lot of people talk openly about it um so this really is this taboo kind of you know you don't really don't talk about that you know it's behind closed doors kind of thing you know yes it is private but at the same time really is detrimental to not talk about it because then people are suffering in silence and that just adds on to it
1: for sure for sure because i do wonder who hears this if it makes a difference And and i'm sure it does people sometimes reach out and they'll tell me sometimes i think we're like in this little sort of echo chamber right like everybody who needs to hear it The people, like, they're already listening. They already get it. The people that you want to get it are not probably maybe never going to get it, but we try, I guess.
0: Right, exactly. And I think that's part of it, too, is, again, to not make it so taboo is because everybody deals with depression. Everybody deals with things, you know, that they've gone through in life in different ways. And I feel like not everything has to be so secretive and quiet. And because at the end of the day, a lot of people have dealt with, you know, depression and anxiety and, you know, suicidality and things like that. And it's just a... I mean, if everybody really talked about it, you know, a lot of people would probably be surprised as to the amount of people who have struggled with it. So it's just actually opening your mind up to saying, okay, you know, I'm not the only person in the world who's dealing with this because the majority of the world has. And I feel like that's something that we almost choose to ignore. Yeah. And on this
1: particular afternoon in January of 2022, we were, I'm curious about Ryan's experience with suicide or attempts, ideation. Uh, where do you want that story or that part to begin?
0: So, I really had deal had had dealt with suicidality very early on. You know, my parents got divorced at the age of six. I mean, they're coming around now, but they weren't the best parents just for the fact of they didn't keep anything. If they had something to say to each other, they would just, they just said it you know at full volume in front of us, kind of thing. So it really wasn't the, the most emotionally stable childhood. And I remember writing my first, you know, I didn't even. Think of it as a suicide note, then. But I just remember writing my first note. It was at the age of eight or nine. Mm. I was in the car because one thing that I did a lot that my my parents just never understood and still really don't is I I used to cry a lot. I used to I mean they they were panic attacks. That's that's what they were. But I used to have these panic attacks all throughout my childhood. I would just cry randomly, and I would just have panic attacks. And they always just you know never necessarily. I mean, which they didn't know what it was. I you know I understand, but they just kind of never really talked about it, never really asked about it, you know. Brought it up, you know. Hey, what's going on? I was in the car and we were heading home. It was actually winter as well, and I just started crying. And there was a notebook in the like the map pocket. I was in the back seat. I just took it out and I started ri- writing. I don't want to do this. I, I, you know, I can't exactly remember what I wrote, but it was along the lines of hey, I hate this. You know, it's just the aspects of. Being alone, and mm. because I was sort of a middle child as well, so just kind of an isolation factor, I couldn't talk to my parents, kind of thing. So it just more, of, had nowhere to go. So I remember writing the note and I putting, I put it in the back seat. To this day, I don't, I don't know if they saw it, but it never got brought up. Don't know if they saw it. I don't know if they just ignored it. No idea.
1: And does your childhood change at all? Went to your preteen, teen years.
0: My life really started going downhill at the age of six. That's what I like to say. So I wrote the note at the age of around eight. Probably the next big event that had happened was I was molested by an uncle. I was nine or 10. It didn't even register as that. And I Mm -hmm. remember having nightmares every night till the age of 15 is when I really kind of, you know, with my therapist came to terms Mm -hmm. with it. But every night I just wake up from these night terrors. Again, the crying and things like that, and just the panic. It's not even crying; it's just, it's just panic. Just feeling like I'm being suffocated all the time, kind of thing.
1: So you're in therapy at 15, and it yeah. starts to come out. You start to talk about what happened.
0: Exactly. Well, actually, let's go back a little bit. So remember in middle school. So this is age 12. I really hadn't talked to anybody about anything. Things were just happening with my family. was more becoming to- more toxic. It was just a horrible, horrible time one day my therapist, I mean, my uh, uh, counselor, the school counselor just brought me in and she was like, what's wrong? Because I, I mean, I'm labeled as the smiley guy to try to be. And she could just tell something was wrong. I just sat in her office and the moment she she closed the door and that's, that's when I lost it. That's when I she didn't even say anything. I just, it was, everything had been built up for so long. We started talking and things like that. And She's like, I really am concerned, Ryan, that you have depression. And you have all the symptoms of depression. A few days goes by, she brings my mom in, you know, because my mom is working. So she had to find time to work. She brought my mom in and she was like, I'm really concerned that Ryan has depression. Me and my mom really haven't talked about this since. It does bother me still. But she just immediately denied it. She's like, no, Mm -hmm. no, he doesn't have depression. No, no, mm -mm. nope. that's not it. That's not it. Nope, 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 nope. It just felt so invalidating. It felt so just... Just tell me just to be quiet and just to deal with it. And that comes up, you know, a few times and I'll talk about that. But it just was very much. No, nope, nope. that's not it. Sorry, bye. Deal with that kind of thing.
1: I'm asking you to speculate here. What was she doing there? What was going on?
0: Why would she deny that? Do you have any idea? The only thing that I can really think of, and this isn't defending her, it's just she has dealt with a lot of depression in her life. And I think it's more out of fear. Mm. She didn't want me to deal with depression and things like that. I think it was just, just fear. Cause I mean, although she wasn't the best parent and she'll have been, it, you know, she does love me. And so I think, I truly think it came from, she didn't want me to have depression, but in her, you know, not wanting me to, it really kind of steamrolled that into the heavy major depression that I had. That. <laughs> I just feel like if she had stopped and listened for once, that probably would have helped. for some reason we wanted to move down to Florida. Um, cause I was born in Florida and my mom's side of the family is down there. I hate Florida. Florida is America's used condom, honestly. To afford to move down, cause we were renting just a apartment complex in Levant. So we moved out of there into this old, old camper. It was like a 1977 Dodge camper van. It was moldy. We had to put the trash bags. Cause like, you know, the overhang where they have the other bed, we had to put trash bags over that cause it was all mold. It didn't run. The only thing that worked in there really was the heat. But in 1977, let's just say that, I mean, no is really made for the winter. That's why they always put them away because there's no insulation. Now in, you know, Maine winters, they get well below freezing sometimes. And so this was eighth grade. We were homeless from, they say, won't say it's homeless. I say it's homelessness because that was ridiculous. But it was from, I want to say October till we moved in June. Through all of winter, through everything. I remember brushing my teeth and it would freeze on my face. And I would have to go in and, because we didn't have hot, hot, have hot water either, so I'd have to, like, warm up my hands so I can actually, like, wipe the frozen toothpaste off, off my mouth. That, too, I just never, no, nobody really knows that. You know, none of my friends. None of, and it was hard. We, we moved down to Florida, and then after my freshman year, we moved back up. And then that's when I got a therapist. That's when I really started talking about me. And in and talking to my therapist, that's when some of the, um because things that I did in the past, like attempting and the ideas and things like that. I never really labeled them as that. It was just how I felt. I remember it was very hard for me to realize the fact of the suicidality that had started so early on and it was so present. You know, I never really know what to put on it. It was just how I felt. But I remember just like every day, just hating everything, just hating Mm -hmm. everything, just never wanting to be here. And I remember I would just find ways or either hurt myself because we had these huge wooden stairs, wooden staircase, because we had a, a split home ramp style, something like that. So you had the front door and you have the two stairs going down. I remember I would just throw myself down the stairs, just hoping I would hurt myself or something.
1: Now, do you consider any of those things that you shared this for an attempt? Not
0: really, no. No. Idolizing it and Suicide Alley, definitely. The closest I had gotten in the early years was I always thought about drinking bleach it was always in my mind every time i did laundry because i mean I, I mean i have to, the chores you know whatever i just would always being like that's probably a good way i i didn't even know what bleach was but uh it smelled horrible so I was like that's probably a you know a good way out they probably stopped around the age of like 10 or 11 but before that i always was finding because i didn't even know you know how i didn't even know what life was let alone to end it so it was just very much i remember searching for something just something else do you make it through high school yeah, I graduated high school. So, again, through therapy, I had realized I had an eating disorder. That is one thing that I realized that I had developed. You know, it first started out with bulimia and manifested into anorexia. You know, those habits really started at the age of, I want to say 10 or 11, probably 11. Once I went into therapy, it was again one of those things. Never knew what it was. It was never a concern for any other person in my life, it felt like. So, once I finally got into therapy, it was very much of seeing everything that I was doing to myself it was very eye-opening therapy definitely helped to get over that i'm over that now it's something that i mean i'll always deal with the mindset you know kind of thing but day to day put in the category of self-harm definitely Mm -hmm. i put the you know eating eating disorder and self-harm you know i cut for a little bit but Mm -hmm. it it really wasn't for me kind of things i hate pain but it was very much very low levels of self-harm in the beginning and I think it was mostly because the lack of knowledge of what self-harm actually was. So I feel like if I really didn't know what, you know, the extreme measures of self-harm was, I probably would have done it.
1: Interesting childhood.
0: Very, very.
1: And this is um, mostly in Maine and a little bit in Florida.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was born in Florida. We moved up when I was three. And then we moved back down again in, uh, at the end of eighth grade. So my freshman year of high school. And we moved back up. And I've been here ever since.
1: When is your first attempt?
0: The closest I had ever got was my senior year out of high school. There had been a lot of things that had gone on. I had two uncles pass away from suicide um, in the same year. And then my sophomore year, that's when, again, the you know eating disorder really got into play. Junior is when I had a friend pass away by suicide. And we were quite close. His name was Cody. His death really, really affected me. Did you have any idea? No, I wasn't necessarily his best friend. I'm not going to sit here and act like I was, you know, but he, I mean, small town in Maine kind of thing, you know, his aunt was his, you know, was the cafeteria lady at my middle school and um, elementary school. You know, I worked with his aunt, you know, I I knew his family, you know, he had a pretty fairly big family. I knew his whole family kind of thing. So I I went to elementary school, middle school with him. And high school is when we really started to become very good friends. We had classes together. And this thing that we did was, We gave each other pieces of gum. So we gave every day we gave each other pieces of gum, just how we complimented each other. We saw each other every day. And I remember the day that he passed away, he was a very, very tall person. I mean, I'm vertically challenged. You know, I'm five, six. They say I'm five, five. I say I'm five, six. (laughs) Um, You know, but I was five, two back then. And he was probably six foot, six, two kind of thing. So he was very, very tall, very commanding. And we were in the hallway. And I passed him, and he just he just gave me a whole you know inner wrapper and everything, a whole new pack of gum. And he was like, "Hey, I just want you to have this pack of gum." And I was like, "Well, thank you, Cody. I mean, I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, can, I I can give you a piece of gum, something in return, or something." And uh, he was just like, "No, I just want you to know you're awesome. I just want you to have the piece of gum." And before I get saying anything else, he just walked away. And then you know the day went on. Didn't really think too much of it. I was like, you know, Cody's he was a really good friend. At the end of the day, I had to pass his car to go to my parking spot. And so I'm passing and I'm a little bit behind him, trailing behind him. And I he's, you know, his, his head is down. He's just walking to his, he had a green trailblazer. You know, I was walking to his car, his was truck. Exiting my high school, there's two lanes, one to go right, one to go left. And I was going to work into town. So I go left, right goes into Carmel. And he lives in Carmel. So he was going right. I was going to work, I was going left. I'm sitting there because it's route two, is fairly busy. And there's just a bunch of traffic. He gets right next to me. You know, I wave, hey, Cody, and just stares at me. You know, it doesn't do anything. There's no traffic going. I didn't know what to do. I just sat there and it was like a little weird. And uh, he went off and I went on my way. And later that night, it was like nine o'clock that night, he passed away. Hmm. That was definitely the, that broke, that just broke me. I I think it just hit like, you know, the uncles that had passed away by suicide. I didn't know them too well. I know, you know, I never met one of them. You know, my mom's, my mom's uncle, I never met. And then my dad's uncle. Or sorry, that was my mom's brother, but my dad's uncle. We called. He was technically great uncle, I guess. But I think when Cody passed away, I think that was the first time that really had set in suicide. I remember I came home the next day and I was crying and crying and crying. And my mom got home from work and she heard that I was crying and she came in and I told her what happened. And you know, she was silent. She gave me my time to cry and what. And she essentially said, you know, I can't exactly remember exactly what she said because you know, hysterical. But she essentially said. You know, I'll give you two weeks to essentially get over it, and then I'll be worried. Mm. and that's something again, I haven't really talked to her about. It's you know I don't know if she meant that as then, you know, I'll be worried about i'm I'm worrying about you. And mm. it really came off as any either way, that wasn't necessarily the thing that I needed to hear in the first place anyway,
1: right. Why is there a time limit we give people? Why is there this
0: tough love? Where is that? What is that? Where is that born? Why? There's no timeline in grief, period. Like, you know, the thing that you know, my philosophy no. is you don't ever move on, you know, and that's the thing that, you know, there's more death, you know, that I'll go over too. But I've heard, you know, oh, you'll, you'll get over, it, you know, you'll get past it. It's like you never get past it. And telling somebody you'll get past it, you'll get over. It means you're saying I'm, gonna, I'm just going to one day. I, I'm not going to think about this person every day. You're telling me one day their life will have no meaning. And that's what that's what it feels like. And it's you never move past it. You move forward with the grief. You don't get over it. You don't get past it. You move forward with the grief. You move on with the grief. And you because you are going to deal with it for the rest of your life. And it's just so demeaning to have somebody say, but to, to put a timestamp on it.
1: Even if they're trying to come from like a good place, they care. It's a bizarre. It's I I don't get it. I'm sure that they might be able to ha- come up with a reason why it makes sense to them. Um... And that's
0: the other thing too is like. People are like, oh, the well, well, everything happens for a reason. Which I think is bullshit. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. I don't necessarily believe in a god or anything like that, but it's just like life is unfair. Life sucks, you know. Especially now, the world's burning. I think we all know that. But it's just life sucks, mm. and life is unfair. And I don't think there is any reason for anybody to be suffering in this world.
1: What happens with you? When do you? When's your first actual attempt?
0: So it was my senior year. It was English class, my last period of that day. And a friend that I brought home a lot, you know, he was actually a really good friend of mine. I considered him my best friend. And sometimes he needed to ride, sometimes he didn't. The whole day, I just wasn't feeling right. Just wasn't feeling. Just wasn't feeling it. Just really wasn't. And I really, I don't even remember talking to one or like talking at all during the day. I don't even think I talked once during that day. I don't. know, I was just just very complacent with being numb and feeling numb. And I felt like the ultimate numbness was to not be here, because at times numbness felt very stabilizing if you numb yourself from feelings feelings don't always hurt and I feel like that's really where it started was I became complacent with the numbness so English period got over and I just was like it felt like the right thing the right thing to do it felt like there was no other right answer it just felt right it just felt like I even right because I mean it's definitely something that still upsets me thinking about it but it just felt like that was the answer felt like that it felt okay I, I should say and so I'm walking out of the classroom he calls my name, and he was like, "Hey Ryan, you want to give me a ride home?" And I was like, "I wanted to say no because I knew it was what I was going to do." I was like, "Uh," he was like, "No, I really, really, really need to get home to let the dogs out. My dad's not picking me up." I was like, "Okay, just make it quick. I'm not really feeling it today." I get in my car and I'm just driving, and it's about three or four, maybe five miles from the school. I'm not talking at all; just kind of blank. He's like, "Hey, what's going on?" And I was like, "Nothing. Just want to go home." Because at the time, I drove a manual, and I just remember. The rest of my body just being a smooth operating machine, and just in my head, I was just like obsessing over wanting to get home to end my life. The more time went on, it was just like I was I was obsessing over it. The way I wanted to do it was I really am mad at myself sometimes for you know thinking of that, but I was I was going to take my great grandfather's shotgun, and so I just remember just obsessing over that. It just I just wanted to go home now. So he's trying to talk to me and things like that. So he was like, you know, something's wrong, you know, let's, you know, just talk to me, something's obviously bothering, you know, you know, what's going on? And I tell him, I was like, I just don't want to be here. He was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, I paused for a good minute. I told him, I was like, if I'm gonna be completely honest, I told him, I was like, I just, I just really honestly want to commit suicide. I feel like there's no other answer. Hmm. And I said it blank like that. And he just was, he just was silent. He just was brought back. And and I think that's also why I was silent because I just was upset that I wasn't home, and I was telling him I was like, I just want to get you home so I can just go home and just and and that's when that's when I could tell his anxiety was kind of building. I still have I haven't apologized to him. I I really should because that was a lot to unload. He just, I could see his anxiety just building and just like almost freaking out almost in like in the passenger seat of the car. So we get home or to his house. He's like, well, why don't you just come? In? Just just come in and let's just take a breather. Let's talk. Let's you know whatever. Play with the dog or something. I get there and we get to his room and I'm just like, just really don't want to be here. And that's all I could say. There was no other thing to say. I just, and I kept wanting to leave. I just kept inching, you know, through my verbiage saying, you know, I really just, okay, it's time to go. Like, I just really want to go home. He just wouldn't like physically, I, if I left, I, I could have, but he just was like really not wa- letting me leave. Just really just pressing the fact of, no, let's talk about it. What's going on. Tell me what's going on. And so I finally sit down and, I just let it all out. I just unload. That's when the grip loosened to the wanting, just wanting to end my life. Then, in that moment, that the grip kind of loosened up, and it took me a while to really completely take my hands off of that idea. It was very gripping,
1: and that's when you were about seventeen. Yes,
0: yeah, seventeen. yeah. To this day, I, I'll. I mean, I don't have any guns in this house now, but I never had to touch the gun after that.
1: And your friend was there for you. He was, yeah. Right, even his response as you recall, and share with me here, like he said, what do you mean? That is not somebody who's freaking out. That is not somebody who is denying You know, any number of things that we probably don't want someone to do or say. Right. That is somebody holding space, asking for clarification, right. inviting so. you to have a conversation, or doing nothing and just being there. All the things I think most people want in that kind of situation. And this young kid did it. And he probably had no training in that. He was just doing what he does for his friends.
0: And he really, he really did. And it it is really surprised me how open he was to the, to that subject.
1: What happens? What's the, one's the next one? How old are you? So actually
0: it was last
1: week. He, hold up. How old are you now? 19. Oh, you're only 19 years old. I thought you were a little older. So, oh, this is happening a little bit more recently than for some reason I was imagining. Are you, do you live with your parents? No, I live with my own. live on your own in Bangor,
0: Maine? Yeah. In college? I did college and I switched my major, but I just don't know what I want to do. I'm working at, at the big hospital here. I work in neurosurgery. All right. So this is what you just shared
1: with your friend, the linebacker friend in your car and the gun and how close you came was only, it sounds like it was like just before the COVID. Exactly. So last week, you're one of a few people I've spoken to who had a really
0: recent attempt. And I still am really pissed, honestly pissed at myself because I had, you know, going through therapy and things like that, I had really just completely, I hadn't even had a thought in my mind close to that since my senior year. And I had been doing really good. It really still bothered me that I had come so close.
1: So you're in therapy. I, I don't know if this is a question you can even answer, especially because it was rather recent, very recent. What is going on that you go from, from what you're sharing pretty good Stable, I guess is a word we could use yeah. working therapy. what happens? do you have any idea
0: isolation you know because i you know I have my job you know i'm I'm doing good like I'm doing doing really good mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes you know in ups and downs is you know I don't really see any of my friends since high school haven't really seen any of my friends since high school haven't really interacted with many people and it's Bangor, Maine. And there's right. really not many things to do around here. You know, I, you know, especially as a gay man, there really isn't any guys around to go out, go out on dates or anything like that. It has always bothered me. I like to go on dates. I like to go on little, you know, dinner dates. You know, just because, you know, meet new people. And Bangor, just like there's nobody out there. No. How How big is Bangor? Thirty-two thousand people. So there's not a scene for you to meet people. No. Especially up here it isn't always the most welcoming place in the world either for for you know the lgbt community or, or really anything outside of the box kind of thing
1: <laughs> right 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 and the box being straight white you know and, and,
0: and, and you know I'm not gonna act like you know we're in the you know 1700s you know the world itself really has gone a far away but not where we need to be i think at all and it sometimes gets to me sometimes well i'll, I'll get to you know last week it just really was a spiral it just really was a spiral of you know, just isolation. Just not talking to anybody. I mean, I still don't. It doesn't necessarily bother me. All you know, most of the time, you know, I people suck. I really don't like people, so I'm I'm completely fine. You know, on my own, truly. But it sometimes gets to me, and it really got to me last week. Is looking through my contact list and looking at people I could call, and just like nobody really came out to me who would be open. Just isolating. I just and me we going through my contact list really kind of is what I think set in the mindset of that where I was of. Okay, there really is nobody, so there's nothing. And I had gone to the ER three days before that. I just tried ice skating for the first time, and I ended up pulling a muscle in my shoulder. It was fairly minor, so they gave me some muscle relaxers for them. And I was doing, I was doing fine then too. I was doing perfectly fine then. And so they gave me a bunch of muscle relaxers, and I had taken them, you know, prescription amount, so two days. I remember I was just crying that night. And I was just crying, crying, crying. I went to the bathroom, and I came out, and they're on the counter, and I just stared at them. Really, I don't even know what really began the mindset of okay, this this is it. But it just was like a the switch. I just kind of locked in on them, and it just okay. Looks like that's how it's going to be. Can you take them? I took a dose, like the like the prescription dose that they that they told me, and then I had had the rest in my hand, and and I just started, and then I just broke down because every time that I have had you know suicide ally things like that, it's you know it's not I don't want to die. It's just living sucks.
1: Right, it's a s- tough space between the two.
0: Exactly, because I really and and that's why that's and that's and that's why I broke down. Is I don't want to die, but it's just so so fucking hard to live.
1: So what happened that night? Do you recall?
0: So, I did end up calling a friend, and I was just like, "Hey, I am really, really down deep. And I really need somebody or something, or else I'm going to do something bad." Mm. And he was like, "Okay, I'll be there." and 10 minutes he was there and like fine he was just like just get in the truck just get in the truck and so I did and we just drove around and I don't think he really understood the gravity of the situation at first so I just got I got in the truck he was like hey what's going on and I just was like I really am about to in my life I just don't want to do this every day he was fairly just taken back and yeah I kept apologizing I'm sure it's painful for you to hear but I just can't Suffer in silence anymore, and that's and that's really what it felt like. It just felt like you know, nobody nobody really knows what I deal with, you know, every day. You know, I'm I'm the type of person who, again, it's just, you know, I always have a smile on my face. I'm always happy-go-lucky, and no one really knows the things that I that I go through, the things that the things that I've dealt with. It's not that they need to know. It just sometimes feels like you know, I put myself in a corner because I'm this you know happy-go-lucky person. I'm always smiling, always have a good act, great attitude, and then. The things that I deal with every day, I bring to somebody, a friend or something like that, and they're just like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! This is not the Ryan that I know. This is not like, whoa, whoa, whoa!" Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it is. It's just when I'm happy, I'm happy. When I'm not, I'm not. I have run into that a couple of times where it's just like, I'll open myself up, and somebody was like, "Whoa, like that's that's a lot more than I was expecting," kind of things. So, which it sometimes I feel like I put myself in a corner where I feel like I don't have many people to go to because. I don't, I feel like I can't have that deep conversation with somebody sometimes.
1: Mm -hmm. How far before or after last week when you had that attempt or near attempt, did you look for this podcast or look for something
0: related to suicide? Was that before? I mean, this podcast before, yeah. But just suicidality, like in really death podcast, I had been listening to since junior.
1: Podcasts related to that.
0: Exactly, because I, I had gone to like, four funerals. I think it was in the course of a year. And so it was very much of me wanting to talk about it because I really didn't talk about it. I'm listening to this podcast here for probably two months now, you know, because I, you know, I just, I would just put in suicide or death or grieving and things like that. And I put in suicide once and I saw this and I was like, oh, pretty cool. Actually hearing people's stories. So a lot of times in the, of the podcast, will just talk about it and, but not necessarily always people's actual experiences
1: I could look on the email. I just don't have it in front of me. What, did you reach out after or before last week? Before. Yeah. Oh, so you reached out to me. We started exchanging emails. Then last week happened. Exactly. For lack of better words, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, me too. And especially <laughs> if you if you want to be here, then then I'm yeah, that's good.
0: And that's and that's the thing that really you know, still pisses me off is like, life is good. You know, life really is, you know, and I know it's not, you know, material stuff. The position in life has really nothing to do with, you know, suicidality. I mean, unless it's in the negative, it just, I really was upset with myself afterwards. And after thinking about it things like that, you know, I still am. It's just like, I'm doing really, really well. And just, it just would have sucked if, I had gone through with it because I really, like I said, I, you know, I don't want to die. I really don't. I, I really, I truly do love my life. I like, I just bought a brand new car and, and, and I'm doing very good with my job and things like that. So it's just opening my eyes to, you know, I'm not necessarily buying into the toxic positivity. Appreciating it, a little more of life. What kind of car? It's a 2022 a Buick Encore GX. All
1: right. Did you ever get diagnosed with anything that you think is correct? Yes. What is that diagnosis?
0: Major depression, gen- generalized anxiety disorder.
1: Do you take medication for that? Yes. Do you find it's helpful? I do. Hmm. You're really good at the short answer part when I framed it that way. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that you will try again?
0: You know, if this interview was two or three weeks ago, I would have said, oh, no. But with the kind of slap in the face that life had handed me, probably it.
1: Do Are there people in your life that might hear this and hear what you say in this conversation?
0: Yes, I have actually told some close friends of mine that I'm going to be on this podcast.
1: So they'll hear this. So it's interesting how they might react now that one, they hear a little bit more about your life that maybe you haven't shared. Mm. And something like you just said, Because you know, hey, I might try again. How are they going to, are they going to engage
0: with you a little bit differently, maybe? And and that's the thing I'm honestly open to is, I, nobody knows about my suicide attempts and the that I've struggled with that all my life. Nobody knows that. I mean, besides my therapist and, you know, the friend who, the or the friends both times, I've never gone out and told people about it kind of thing. But I really feel like this is part of me growing into my true self. I've been very confident, which, again, that's why I love my life, is I'm very confident in myself. I, I, this is the first time in my life I've been confident mm. and been fully loving myself. I feel like the only way to truly love myself is to not hide it it from the world. Yeah. Putting it all out there kind of thing. And whoever hears it, hears it.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure there will be people that greatly appreciate that. They need to hear this, really. You may never know them. They may never contact you, but they're out there, right? That's the power of this sort of platform. Other than meds, what, if anything, helps you feel a little less shitty? If anything.
0: Therapy and my coping mechanisms.
1: You want to share them?
0: Yeah. You know, Maine, I truly do love Maine. Maine is very beautiful. So I'll go out out on a drive and listen to a podcast and just enjoy the scenery, enjoy the ride. And that is extremely therapeutic for me. Snowboarding, those activities, you know, those kind of activities really are helpful.
1: So it sounds like, and of course, you'll tell me if I'm wrong here, you don't have a lot of people. This is how most people's lives are. You don't have a lot of people to talk to about these kinds of things. No. Yeah. I wonder what the world would be like. I don't know if that's the best way to frame it. People's lives would be like if they had one or two, maybe three people who they could really talk to. I really think it would be a very different experience. Life would be different.
0: Because, you know, everybody says, you know, oh, I'm here for you. This is not. And then you open yourself up and then you get the, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, that's.
1: Once you get that once, twice, a few times, you're not going to go back. You've You've <laughs> been told clearly. They've communicated with you very clearly. You know what? This is what I'm cool with, but this is what I'm not cool with. You're not going back. Why would you? why'd you reach out and say yeah i'm gonna i don't remember your exact words but it was essentially if you want to talk i'd love to talk
0: i'm I'm tired of holding what feels like a secret i'm tired of holding it to myself so tightly because it really does weigh on me the fact that i just hold that feels like a secret that i'm holding so tightly and so i feel like this is just a release for me just finally finally taking a deep breath you know, not holding anything back and just really letting my story be out there. And so I can actually, because it really, I've never told my story from A to B, like I've told my therapist, you know, parts of the, you know, cause I've had three para- therapists in my life. I've told therapists about one thing, you know, one therapist has helped help me with another and certain people know certain aspects of my life, but no, I, you know, I haven't told my story A to B. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's something I can also just like, just have out there and just, Finally, get off my chest because it feels like again, just like holding that secret to myself so tight, and it causes a lot of anxiety for me. Do you
1: ideate every day?
0: Probably weekly. I would say every day. There's some days where I go on, and you know, if I'm having such a good day, sometimes I don't even feel any emotion besides, you know, in the moment. Sometimes later in the week, I haven't really talked to anybody, and that's when that's when not even thinking about suicide for like for me, but, but just thinking about the people that I've lost and grief mm. and,
1: and the isolation is tough. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Given time and space, the mind is a very dangerous neighborhood hanging out, hang out.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any myths? If you've heard the podcast, you know, I tend to ask that question. So yeah. have you thought, were, were there any that you thought of as you thought about talking today?
0: I've heard a lot from, and this is also probably why I never really told any of my friends, not that my closest friends have ever said this, but I, you know, I heard a lot of people in high school say, "Well, oh, people who commit suicide or complete suicide is how I like to put it. Mm-hmm. You know, are selfish. They deserve it. if That's how they want to treat the other people in their life. And I feel like that is just so, so incorrect. It doesn't even feel like a choice. It just feels like that is the only way. I get it. You don't know it until you've been there. But almost like putting the blinders on and choosing not to have empathy for somebody who is truly struggling with something. Because mm-hmm. it really is a struggle. It really is a fight to want to live every day. I feel like the myth of, well, people who do are just selfish, you know, they're, they're assholes. They're, they're so horrible. They're horrible. You know, I've heard people who have gone through it, you know, whether it be a husband or, or, you know, family members of people that have lost things like that. And I've heard, again, it wasn't to to me, but it was, oh my God, that's so horrible. Or, oh, I can't believe they did that. You know, that kind of thing did that to you kind of that kind of thing. I, I think people think, People who complete suicide are actively trying to hurt other people. That's just mm. just not how
1: Yeah. Do you have that note by the way? The one that you wrote when you were eight years old? Is that
0: gone? I think I left it in there for a reason. Just to, I I wanted to see who if they would find it. It stayed in there until they traded it in. Ooh. In 2016. <laughs> someone someone
1: probably found it out there somewhere and they're reading this and note I, like what the fuck? I stayed
0: up at night some nights. I've stayed up at night some nights wondering where the hell that note is. There's one day where. I was like, well, it's got to be in there. I gotta find it, but I I should I, sh- I should have. But I was like, no, I'm just not, I'm just I'm just gonna leave it. I'm just gonna leave it. I'm not gonna go look for it. There's one day I was like, okay, I had because I mean, it was not a dirty car, but especially the mat pockets. They didn't clean it. I mean, there's stuff in there from when I was eight or whatever. And so it was just like, no, I'm not gonna look, go look for it. It's, it's done this. Who cares? Whatever. And it was it was in there when they traded the car. On.
1: <laughs> Did you ever get any answers? And I don't know if that's the right word about your friend who ended his life. Was there a note? Was there anything for you to sort of attach yourself to?
0: So there wasn't a note for Capote. I did have another friend that passed away by suicide my senior year. He posted a note on his Snapchat. He posted his suicide note on Snapchat. Story. On
1: Snapchat, which disappears.
0: That was very hard. That was a very hard. His name is Chris. He posted it on his story mm. and I got a call from a friend and he was like, Hey, have you seen Chris's you know, Snapchat story? I was like, no, I'm living i'm not necessarily on snapchat all the time so he was like I just i just i just needed to check it and i checked it and it just my heart dropped mm-hmm. yeah he ended up passing away
1: mm. so you had said just uh you'd said that it's not selfish and they're not assholes they're not trying to hurt people and that's how you feel about chris and cody that they were not those things
0: exactly because i've been there i it's not you know when i when i've gotten closer or thought about it hours on it. and it's not out of malice it's not you know oh i'm doing this to hurt xyz kind of thing it's yeah. something that i'm struggling with myself and you know not to be rude but it's just very telling when people say oh they're selfish but they're the main people who hadn't checked on them you know and and i'm i'm not gonna lie you know i can't necessarily speak for everybody who's dealt, you know because everybody deals with it in different ways and goes about it and has different thoughts and takes on it but i chose not to tell me that, you know, I didn't want to tell anybody kind of thing. So I I definitely did keep it secret for a while.
1: I admittedly am judgmental towards people who say those things and I don't want to label them, but to be really frank, I kind of think they're selfish. I don't want to spit it back at them, but I'm like, "Mm." and I also wonder if they knew, were you there for them?
0: Exactly. Did Did you, you,
1: did you try to help them out? Were you there? Did you listen? Did you create, did you hold space? Then maybe you wouldn't say that, or you're just sort of commenting and you weren't there for them. I don't know. I mean, it case by case, right?
0: It, it and it is case by case, and every but every time I've heard that, it just it just angers me so much. It's just so dehumanizing to say yeah. that about somebody who's passed away. You don't know what they're going
1: through. That's the real thing. You just
0: exactly exactly you can't just put what they're going through in a box and throw it away.
1: Well, we'll never know. We can't ever know this. Pretty sure people usually want to stay alive. Exactly. So if they are doing something that puts that in peril. They're going something through something that even if it sounds similar to what you've gone through on paper, it's probably not. You, 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 this is a serious decision. This is this is no joke. I get that people don't know what to do with it. I do. I, I, you don't know what to do with it. I lost my friend years ago, but my best mm-hmm. friend. You don't know what to do with it. And I guess people just want to do it. We try to find meaning and we try to find the words, understandably, but um, questionable words often. Let's say that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, what else would you like to share Mr. Ryan in Bangor, Maine with the Buick?
0: That it's okay to feel like you're feeling, you know, that's one thing that really didn't help as well is I felt like I was indifferent and I just was bad to think the way that I do or to feel the way way that I do. And I feel like that also kind of adds into some of the isolation is just to know that I'm pretty sure everybody on this planet has dealt with depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. All in different ways, all in completely different ways, and that's and that's to be respected. Mm -hmm. But to know that just because you see somebody who seems stable doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going through something. So just like choosing to look into somebody, choosing to really not just see what they're putting out on the outside and really trying to dig and see what's underneath, because a lot of times there is something you wouldn't expect or something they're willing to share.
1: And then I guess a whole other conversation is when they do open up to you then what do you do and we know but that's a whole other yeah baby steps i guess right starting point exactly yeah man i really i really appreciate you reaching out and talking with me and being open and honest and especially given that it's this has been a sounds like a rough month yeah life is good sometimes
0: exactly
1: not always always. (laughs) 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 i do hope that we get the fuck through this whole covid shit and that Um, um Your isolation is eased up a little bit because I know that sounds like it'll help. Enjoy your drives in the nature. Thanks again, Ryan. I really do appreciate it. And I'll I'll connect with you very soon. All
0: right.
1: Sounds good. Take care, man. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Ryan up in Maine. Thank you, Ryan. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And of course, you could help us out by letting folks know about the podcast, sharing it on social media, and if you listen on Apple, rating and reviewing. It really helps. Thanks so much for that. That is all for episode number 98. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.